please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, how great thou art, uh, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Father, we can't begin to express our gratitude, our love, and, a, and great appreciation for all that you do for us, the grace that you've bestowed upon us, that we can have this fellowship with you because of what you, our great God, has done for us. We come here today, we come here completely empty in ourselves, but we need to be filled by you, by your spirit. So as we enter this building, as we attend this service, that we would come with anticipation, each one of us, to receive from your word and from your spirit something that we can apply to our lives and take with us. So we ask that we would be able to just to glean from this service that which would be appropriate to change our lives. Then, Father, we want to worship you. We want to worship you in a proper manner, in, in our songs, in our study of the scripture, and in every detail of the service. We also come with heaviness on our hearts for... Uh, our family here that is going through some difficulty. We think of the homegoing of B.J. Musser. And uh, we, uh, as we are sorrowful to see our dear sister depart, we know that she's securely in your hands. But we sympathize certainly with her family, with the Musser family, particularly with, with uh, Beth and Bev, that you would be a comfort to them at this time. And then for the home going of uh, Donna Hershey's mother, and just ask that you be with, with her family and the Stauffer family, just give them your peace as they walk through this time. We also are concerned for our sister Hazel Sensnig as she's been taken to the hospital, that you would give wisdom to the doctors as they examine, as they diagnose, and as they treat, that they would be able to treat her properly. And for Lou Denlinger's, he's going to be transferred, uh, hopefully, into the rehab tomorrow. 
uh, that you would be with him and Ruth, be a comfort to them. Father, we uh, also recognize the great needs that our uh, global partners have as they walk through this coming week. You just ask that you be with Dave and Michelle Pierce, with Ethnos 360 as they serve here in the States, that you give, continue to give them wisdom and strength as they minister uh, each day. For Craig and Debbie Borgard Bur uh, in Halle, Germany, uh, as they serve with FIM, uh, we think particularly of uh, Debbie as she continues uh, to be restored from uh, ill health, that you would uh, continue to give strength in her as each day goes by. For Mindy, we just thank you for her uh, service here this morning. Just thank you for her life and for uh, her dedication to, to the people in Germany. And as she anticipates returning in a few days, that you would just be with her, give her safety, and uh, as she returns to minister there. So, Father, uh, we bring our pastor before you this morning, uh, just that your spirit would work through him as he delivers the message that he has for us. And we're so grateful and thankful for how you have ministered to us here at CNBC. And we give you all the praise, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with us as we sing?
give to us as believers in your great and wonderful gospel that you would come and, and do what you did for us so that we could be free so that we could live the lives that you intended for us to live forgiven there is no one like you you there's no God like you. You are the God who sees and the God who hears and the God who stands with us in our suffering and the God who stands with us in our joys 
and you celebrate with us and you celebrate us. You're not made of stone or wood or you're not a concept. You're real. And we're so grateful for the privilege to come together collectively this morning and lift up your great name and, and to just tell you from our hearts what we think about you. Thank you for being so loving toward us, for giving us everything that we need. There is no one like you. also dismissed at this time. Good morning, church. Beautiful reminders from our music ministry team this morning. Thank you so much for your ministry to us, for leading us in worship this morning, uh, wonderful truths uh, sung up here. Happy Mother's Day to all of those uh, in our midst. Uh, really appreciated the depth of the special video at the beginning of the service, uh, considering all of the different realities that Mother's Day is to 
uh, many of the mothers uh, that are with us today here in the building and with us online as well. just want to draw your attention to a few items before we start today. First, uh, if you're with us online or in the building, every week we have one of these white sheets. They're in the weekly. If you're with us online, underneath the screen, there's a little uh, link in the description box. This really helps us as we form community here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. And we just ask that you take a second, fill this out. There's all kinds of things on here, especially ways that we can be praying for you, opportunities, things that are going on uh, right now that you can be part of uh, in our community here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. I promise that if you fill this out, we will not put you in the running for like a free puppy. Or, you know, like uh, we, we won't do a drawing for six young men coming and spending the weekend at your house uh, and giving my wife and I a break or anything like that. So uh, seriously, we, we, we use these uh, to really help us form our community here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. So we ask you to take a minute. Uh, just drop those in the, in the box in the back if you're here with us in the building today. Uh, if you're with us online, just uh, fill those out for us and let us know that you were joining us this morning. also want to remind you that this is our last Sunday. Today is our last Sunday to take up this special above and beyond uh, offering for the country of Ukraine, specifically for the South Church, uh, which Hope International has uh, told us that the first $5,000 that come in above and beyond what's needed to meet our budget here will go directly towards the South Church in supporting their relief efforts in the Ukraine. And so be prayerfully considering how you might give towards uh, that gift this week. And then finally, I hope you're participating. And if not, there's still time to participate in our 31 days of prayer for our neighbors uh, take some time over the course of the next few weeks to be intentionally, by name, uh, praying together as a faith community for the people that we live uh, right next door to, that are our neighbors uh, right down the street or across the road from where we live every day. And of course, our monthly memory verse for the month of May, it's from Galatians chapter 5, 14, and we'll say it together. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5.14. Yes, thank you so much for helping me remember the verse at the end. I typically forget that. We are closing out 1 Corinthians today. And what a study that it's been. I think it's been a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer that we've been in this letter together. And I always uh, feel a sense of satisfaction at the end of the study that we have endured all this time together in one letter from Paul, but, but indeed it has been fun and I've enjoyed the study and the time that we've had uh, together as a congregation. Paul has addressed numerous questions related to and regarding the formation of Christian community. And he has unveiled that which we, most of us, already know to be true, right? That there is no perfect church. And there is no perfect Christian community out there. Every congregation will wrestle with any number of issues, none of which are too big for Jesus to manage. As the people of God, we are called and compelled to keep Jesus the central focus of our gatherings and our unity. And so some of the 
big themes that Paul's addressed throughout this letter. He's talked about the preeminence of love. We saw that at the beginning. We see it at the middle in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to see it again at the end today. He's given throughout the letter a call to unity in the person of Christ. And it's both, it's got to be both and, it's a theological unity around the matters of first priority delivered by Paul to the church and laid out at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, one of the core and central tenets given, uh, the greatest emphasis in this letter is the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But it's not just a theological unity, it's also a unity in practice. And so, as a faith community, when we gather as a collective group of saints, we are practicing some common elements of the faith together. Things like baptism, Paul's addressed it and discussed it in this letter. He's talked about the Lord's Supper, addressing it, talking about the dynamics of it. He's talked about recognizing and sharing our spiritual gifts with one another. And in that, another primary theme of his letter has been a concern for spiritual growth. And Paul's concern that through the building up of the body of Christ and one another, that we are growing spiritually and that this spiritual growth would indeed lead towards purity within the church. And Paul's addressed in this letter specifically this concept of purity as it relates to sexual purity. But he's also talked about welcoming and, and, and hospitality and, and being aware of the needs and the concerns of those outside the church. Also as evidence of spiritual growth within our community. Practicing our corporate worship in ways that not only builds up believers who are present, but also remains mindful of ways that our corporate gatherings might be used of God to lead others to faith in Jesus. These are important considerations to give. And today we've reached the conclusion of Paul's letter. It would be another year, perhaps two years, before he would write again to the people in Corinth. The time between his first and second letter would prove to be a good time to put into practice the instruction that he gives in what was this, his first letter, to the people. And as we engaged Paul's instruction last week, we uncovered that one way a person might recognize a life-giving and love-filled Christian community was in the way that that community supported, encouraged, and even motivated endurance in their faith leaders and ministry workers. And so today, to close his letter, Paul is going to reveal for us some other ways that we might identify a Christian community that is actively committed to practicing and doing all things in love. So if you have your Bibles today, you can either turn them on or take them out. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, concluding Paul's letter in verses 13 to 24. And before we read it, let's take a minute and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's living, it's powerful, it's active, it's at work right now as it's presented through the power of your spirit. So Lord, we pray that as we take your word and open it today, that we could glean from it principles for our community as we gather that might help us uh, be identified as a community that is indeed concerned about 
and practicing doing all things in love. Help us be known as children of love with a nature of love. Let us be people that our community looks to and says we know they are Christians by their love. Lord, compel and motivate that love within us through the example and the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Let your word uh, not just uh, make us leave this place without putting it into practice, but let your word take root in our hearts and our minds that we may leave here and we may work out uh, the tangible ways that we can live and love and lead in the communities you've placed us in. We want to give you the glory for what you'll accomplish in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 to 24. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanias were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, Send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Be careful who you're sitting next to today. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. All things in love. We desire to be a community that's expressing its faith in love. It's interesting that this is what Paul comes to. As I was reading these uh, first few commands in verses 13 and 14 this week, it made me reflect on one of the walls in the weight room at our high school. There is this enormous brick wall in the high school and on This enormous brick wall in the weight room hangs this sign that every football player in our program should be able to quote. And the sign has four, we'll call them instructions or commands on it. And these are what it says. Competitive excellence, no excuses, power of the unit, and then finally, beat Mannheim Central. They always say, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. So (laughs) these four phrases, they form four pillars uh, upon which the mindset of the football program at our high school is built. In our weight room and and off-season strength and conditioning programs, we want our athletes to keep in mind the qualities that together we are working towards embodying. And so as Paul concludes his letter today, he's given the church a banner to hang. These are words to keep us on point, to orient us and keep us moving together in the right direction. Verses 13 and 14 leave us with five commands or admonitions from Paul. The church 
was to remain watchful. And in the context of this passage, specifically, they were to remain watchful for the arrival of Apollos and the other brothers, including Timothy, that Paul had mentioned in verse 12. But it's interesting that this is the same word, this word watchful, it's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 24 when he encouraged his disciples to watch for his coming. To watch for his coming, for they did not know the day and the hour that he would return. Incidentally, it's also the same word that Jesus used for, uh, with his disciples when he invited them to go to the garden with him and do what? Anybody remember? To come to the garden with him and what were they supposed to do? Pray. He used the word watch. It's the same word. What actually happened though? The disciples fell asleep. And so this word is best understood in its Greek context as waiting with a sense of alertness. And there are many good reasons to remain alert as we await the return of our Lord. Just as a soldier in a tower or a hunter in a tree stand would remain watchful, one for potential threats, another for potential food or opportunities, so too is the church to remain watchful. In Paul's second phrase, it, it actually follows closely in step with the first. He says in verse 13, stand firm in the faith. Now just a few sentences earlier, at the end of our chapter 15 division, Paul has encouraged the church to be steadfast and immovable. And now again, he gives the call to stand firm. The essential components of the faith, the matters of first priority, friends, these are not on shaky ground. They are not. These are as rock solid as the very character of our Savior. And they are to be stood firmly upon. We are to be rooted in these truths and these realities. Jesus Christ has come as Messiah he has died as Messiah. All of this according to the testimony of the scriptures. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He was buried as the Messiah according to the scriptures. On the third day he rose again, defeating sin and death as Messiah according to the scriptures. Then, as the resurrected Messiah, he appeared to many. Without these matters of first priority, understood, accepted, embraced, and lived out as a Christian community, our faith is in vain. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 17, when he says, If Christ be not raised, what? Our faith is in vain. But the great hope and the great joy that we share is that because of these great truths, because of what Jesus did and who he is, our faith is not in vain. And so Paul says, stand firm in the faith. He also encourages the church in verse 13 to act like men. Now, these words, it's important for us to remember, are words that are spoken in the context of a corporate gathering, which included both men and women who had come together as the church of God in Corinth. 
And they would have been received by the community like an endorsement towards bravery or courage. Think about the words that Joshua gives the community uh, of Israel. Be strong and what? Courageous. It's the same thing that Paul is saying here to the church in Corinth. Be brave. Be courageous. Remain watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Important. Opposition to Christianity at the time was growing. It was strong opposition. Roman rulers, local government leaders, Jewish religious leaders, all of them. What we would maybe say secular and sacred, all stood in opposition to the blossoming churches that were sprouting up throughout the Roman Empire. Christianity posed a new threat to Rome. You see, Rome had found a very comfortable way to deal with Judaism. But Christianity was a different way altogether. It, it was audacious. The audacity of these followers of the way, which it was called, to boldly proclaim and declare Jesus as Lord above Savior, it was it, above Caesar, it was increasingly alarming to Roman officials and had become a growing concern to citizens who were faithful to Caesar and his rule. The early church, friends, it would undergo fierce persecution and fierce opposition at the hands of government leaders and elected officials. Paul's words are encouraging bravery, courage, steadfastness and strength for the church, especially in this situation where Paul was not with them. Paul was not with the church at this time. He was away from them. Timothy and Apollos, according to the context, they had not yet arrived. And some of their more prominent leaders were away with Paul. This reality soon comes to light in verses 15 to 18. If there was a sense or a feeling of vulnerability, while Paul and the other leaders of the church were absent from the presence of the people, Paul wished to encourage and motivate courage in the people why they waited for their leaders to return. Perhaps Paul is, is asking too much for this young yet growing Christian community. Without her leaders present, without Paul's presence, how would they stand in this manner? Without their leaders there encouraging them and and inviting them to regularly stand with bravery and courage against the opposition that they were facing, how could they stand? We might ask the same question of ourselves today, church. How can we remain watchful? How can we stand firm? How can we live courageously and boldly with strength for today, tomorrow, and however long Jesus keeps us here? And Paul has traced the answer to this question throughout this letter. It's a common theme. He has put, he's put it as a compass in chapter 1 with a red arrow pointing directly to chapter 13. And throughout the rest of the letter, he has taken north, south, east, and west through the myriad of issues that the church was facing to come to the conclusion that love was the answer. It was, it's a significant conclusion. It's one that Paul's repeated in numerous ways in this letter and in others. It's one that Jesus commanded himself and embodied and lived out. It's one that Paul himself and the other church leaders were also practicing 
themselves. Look at verse 14. As you do these things in verse 13, remember verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, we don't have the time this morning to go back and to reread 1 Corinthians 13, but we can remind ourselves of Paul's conclusion there, right? And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. The greatest command is love. The greatest expression of our faith is love. The church should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then demonstrate the veracity of that belief by embodying the same kind of love that Jesus showed. As we are watchful, standing firm in the faith, demonstrating courage and strength, we need to make sure that we are doing these things, practicing these priorities in love. The greatest example of which comes from the life and testimony and ministry of Jesus. How did Jesus demonstrate these things? How was Jesus watchful? How did Jesus stand firm in the faith? How was he bold and courageous? It was Jesus who was being perfectly watchful as he rebuked the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and the religious leaders for their behaviors and their attitudes. Yet among their own, in their time, the scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees would have been labeled as some of the most watchful and alert of all people. Perhaps what we can learn from their testimony is that it's possible to be watchful for the wrong things. But Jesus didn't just demonstrate great watchfulness. He also demonstrated how to stand firm in the faith, in love. He did not waver in his mission. Jesus came to reveal the one true living God to humanity. His faithfulness to his mission and his task led him directly to the cross. We're standing firm in the faith, not wavering. He died to accomplish the work that God had given him to do. It's interesting in that scene, some of you remember, Jesus is actually asked by a man named Pilate if he was king of the Jews. Did Jesus waver in his answer? He stood firm in the faith. Jesus testified to the truth. His kingdom was not of this world. Where his, were his kingdom of this world, he would have encouraged his disciples to physically fight to maintain his influence and his power. But this was not Jesus' tone or posture. How did Jesus demonstrate great courage and bravery? He went, to the, he went to the garden and he asked for the Father's will to be done. Then he carried out the Father's will all the way through to his own death on the cross. Jesus demonstrated courage, bravery, boldness, alertness, all of those things through sacrifice. Jesus' strength wasn't found in trying to hold on to temporal things here on earth. Power, influence, political advancement, prestige, or pride. Instead, Jesus modeled all that Paul has instructed in verses 13 and 14 perfectly. What does it truly look like to be watchful, to stand firm, to be brave, to be strong? A good reminder for us, church, would be found in Philippians chapter 2, 
verses 5 to 11 in the example of Jesus. And now we don't have time to read it this week, but I'd write it down in your notes and I'd spend some time reflecting on it this week because Jesus is the embodiment of everything that Paul is calling the church to here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And now, has been, as it's been the habit of Paul throughout this letter, he does not leave this command of love open-ended. Rather, he's going to move within the letter to show an example of how the Christian community in Corinth was already expressing this love that he was calling them to embrace. And one of those ways was in their intentionality in refreshing him and other ministry leaders. Look at verses 15. And 16, Paul says, now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they've devoted themselves to the servants of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. And Paul begins by pointing out and honoring the first converts during his ministry in Achaia. Stephanius went on to become a leader among the people and his household served as an example among the people in their care and their service towards the saints. Now, who were the saints? Remember, we talked about this last week. Paul addressed it in the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The saints that Paul is referring to here were actually the Christians who were starving in Jerusalem. They were going hungry. At the time that Paul is writing, there is famine in the land. And this was a very interesting sort of famine that was going on because food was readily available. But the problem was that to purchase the food was not affordable. The price of the food was way outside of the range of what could be afforded by many of the Christians that were living and working in Jerusalem. And so if we're concerned about involving ourselves in matters pertaining to the care of the poor and the needy, it's important to note that in this passage, Paul not only encourages it, but he honors it and he honors the ones who are actively participating and engaging in it. Along with this, Paul also calls the church to subject themselves to such leaders to such fellow workers and such laborers, those that are modeling this kind of heart and concern for the poor and the needy. Paul understood how busy and involved the men were who were coming to him as sent from Corinth. He knew that they had other ministries and families to oversee, that they had their own households, their own livelihoods and enterprises to maintain. So he includes the rejoicing he felt when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus brought him a letter from the churches gathered throughout Corinth. This was a form and a type of sacrificial love for them. They were stepping away from their enterprise, from their business. They were bringing the concerns of the Christian community in Corinth to Paul where he was at a cost for themselves and to themselves. And their presence with Paul made up for the absence of the people. As they stayed for a while and brought Paul up to speed on the happenings within the churches in their, re- in their region, Paul was able to assess the matters, prepare his thoughts, and eventually they ended up in the letter that we've been studying together for the past year and a half. 
And Paul goes on to say this in verse 18. Look at, look at what he says. They've refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The church in Corinth, actively involved in refreshing the starving saints in Jerusalem by involving themselves in these matters uh, for caring for the, the needy and the poor, but then also actively involved in refreshing their ministry leaders by sending their leaders out to give updates to them and inform them on matters that were bringing difficulty and division to the church. All of this refreshed Paul. And it was refreshing for the church when he responded. Paul wanted these leaders to receive the recognition they were due for the work that God was doing through them. Friends, we kind of do this in a similar manner today. Maybe not exactly the same, but in a similar way, almost every single week, we receive letters, updates, correspondence from our global partners. What are those letters, updates, and correspondence making us aware of? The challenges and the concerns that they're facing as they are working on the field to help grow the church of God where he has sent them. And when we receive those letters and those updates, we oftentimes celebrate with the good things that are going on. We get excited. I hope we do. Oftentimes you express excitement to me and we pray for the wonderful things that are happening. But we also look at the discouraging and difficult things that are going on in the context of their ministry as well. And sometimes we well, all the time, hopefully we're praying for them, but sometimes perhaps we're providing feedback or thoughts or helping build networks that may resolve some of the obstacles that they're facing on the field. In some ways, in a similar setting, this very ministry continues on today. We're refreshing one another. Are you refreshed when you get an update from Emmanuel? I am. I can almost see him jumping out of that building in Ghana. Up and down, he's so excited. And my spirit jumps. I mean, I get refreshed when I hear ministry news and updates from people that are serving over the world and, and having victory. And they get refreshed from us when they hear about what we're doing to support and to reach out and to build up and to uh, share Christ with the local communities that we have been planted in right here in paradise. And part of being refreshing and a refreshment to others is found in our postures and ministries of greeting or welcoming one another. It's often how we begin and even end letters that we receive and or write. And so here's another quality that Paul talks about in this portion of his letter. It's the action of greeting that Paul is bringing to light in verses 19 and 20. And, and when we read these two verses, it may sound a little bit like the church lobby on Sunday morning. That's a good thing. That's what Paul intends here. Let's look at verse 19 first. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings. This word greetings is repeated over and over again in these two verses. And Paul is building solidarity among the churches throughout the known world uh, and beyond when he's sending greetings from one location to the next. A similar sentiment was uncovered at the beginning of this chapter when Paul builds solidarity between his instruction to the churches in Galatia and Corinth regarding the collection that was being taken up for the saints. He's not just giving these instructions to one, one church in one community, but he's sharing them with multiple churches in multiple communities. The idea is that 
Though our geographic regions, our cultures, our political and social realities may cause us to gather and practice our faith a bit differently, there is a solidarity that's shared by all people of God regarding our greater purpose and mission. Friends, we all share the same purpose and mission as given by God. Go into all the world and do what? What? Go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. Make disciples. Here on Sunday morning in Paradise, PA at Calvary Monument and in Dresden, Germany. Make disciples. Common mission. Right? Here in Paradise, PA or in Lampeter or wherever you might live in this community and in Ghana. Make disciples. There's a shared mission that the church has and it's, it's a way that we are in solidarity with one another. These are principles that Paul's given to instruct faith communities in Corinth, but they also apply in Rome, in Colossae, in Thessalonica, and Galatia. The greetings from one congregation in Asia can be invited, sent, welcomed, and received by another congregation in Corinth. Because in spite of our geographical separation and other points of differences, we still share in the one same body of Christ. I got to tell you, uh, in our window of time that we were in Haiti, uh, we got to go to a, an international church. That's a little different than how we do things here in America when it comes to singing and worshiping the Lord. I got to tell you, when my cousin uh, married a man from Tanzania and he came home to the States uh, in America, he wanted to go around and see some of the different churches. And I took him into the church I was serving at the time, and I, and I took him up onto the stage. And so we had this stage, it's kind of big like this, and up on the stage what you couldn't see is that there were all these X's on the floor, and those X's actually told people where they were supposed to stand on Sunday morning when they were singing or leading or where they were supposed to be, and all these cords and cables and wires and all of this stuff going on up front. And he just looked at me and he said, why? Why? Well, they do things a little bit differently in Tanzania when they get together and they worship the Lord than we do here in America. But there's solidarity in the mission that we have been given in Christ. And there's specific times when this solidarity was especially encouraging to believers. And this could have been the case for Priscilla and Aquila. Paul mentions them here in verse 19. It's very interesting for us to remember that when Claudius was the emperor of Rome, he expelled all Jewish Christians, among whom were the husband and wife church planning couple of Aquila and Priscilla. And in spite of the opposition that they had faced, they continued on in the ministry instructing other early church leaders. They even instructed Paul himself. And now what an encouragement for the church in Corinth to know that they, Priscilla and Aquila, were sending along hearty greetings, resolving to stand firm in the faith and continue their ministry, even in the midst of the persecution they were experiencing. If anyone knew anything about persecution, Priscilla and Aquila did. And so to, for the church in Corinth to receive hearty greetings from them, it's like a message of solidarity. Hey, stand firm. God is working. It's okay. Jesus is building his church. Hold on. What an encouraging way for us to share with others and to demonstrate that God is continuing his work in and through us while we serve. But then 
What Paul does here in verse 20 is he gives some specific instructions about how the community in Corinth was to greet one another when they were present together. So let's look down at verse 20. Don't be too scared. Okay, it's all right. We'll deal with it. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I joked with Pastor Jim this week that we were going to do some practical application at this point in the sermon. No, I'm just kidding. On that same day, I actually saw that it was George and Maggie's 65th wedding anniversary, and I thought they've had some holy kisses in their life, probably. Yeah. <laughs> now, we, we, we do not practice this. Many of us do not practice the holy kiss anymore. And many of you would say, amen. Thank goodness. But it was certainly the custom of the day in Corinth and... There are some cultures and faith communities around the world that still practice this very thing. Not so much here in America. We're not a very kissy sort of people. But occasionally, what we see in Paul's letters are instructions that are bound to the cultures and context of the people that he is writing to. And this is one of them. And when we find these instructions, what I like to do is I like to look for the broader principle that's at play. So if we don't kiss one another with a holy kiss in our communities anymore. What was Paul intending to cultivate or to encourage among the people in giving this instruction? And certainly here, it seems like a holy kiss is a practical way to demonstrate our solidarity or unity, a way to keep the Christian community united and together. Here's why. We do not tend to give a kiss to someone we do not like. Right? I mean, I don't know about you. I have never kissed someone I did not like. <laughs> it's not something that we tend to do or practice. And so here is a practical, tangible way for the community to show that they are in solidarity with one another and that they're keeping together uh, with others who they desire to share Christ and participate in Christ together with. This holy kiss, a way of kind of visibly demonstrating that solidarity in Christ a way perhaps to participate together as one body in Christ. So Paul concludes with these words. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And, and people may read verse 21 here. Perhaps you've read verse 21 in Paul's closing words and you see it as a bit of a contradiction to what he's written in verse 14. That might be natural. Paul just said do all things in love. And then in verse 21 he says. If anyone has no love for the Lord. Let him be what? Cursed. But Paul is simply stating an accurate position. For the one who stands. Without a love for Christ. Is without hope in the world already. He's using a bit of a play on words here. He's taking a Greek word and an Aramaic word that sound a bit similar, and he's placing them side by side. It's the only location in the Bible where we find these two words next to each other, and we can practice it today. The first word, this word, let him be accursed, the word is anathema. You say anathema? Anathema. The second phrase, our Lord comes, anybody know what that phrase is? Maranatha. So let's say it together. Anathema Maranatha. It's a bit of a tongue twister, right? A bit of a play on words. Anathema Maranatha. See, you learned Greek and Aramaic today. 
You can leave here and you can go tell your friends, hey, I learned Greek and Aramaic in church today. But don't have them push you past those two phrases. <laughs> it's ironic how these two words fit together, isn't it? The one with no love for Christ in this world will also in no way be anxious or eagerly awaiting his return, will they? See how those two fit together? Within the Christian community, for those who shared Christ, participated in his work, and were eagerly awaiting his return, there was hope, there was joy, there was grace, there was love. But for those present among the people of God that did not have love for the Lord, they were to be detached and identified as outside of the true community of faith. And that may be hard for us to recognize today and to see as a church. Someone might ask, well, how is that loving? How is that loving? Well, there is a purpose behind this, friends. The true Christian community had received the gospel as Paul had delivered and laid out in 1 Corinthians 15. And through the reception of that message, they were saved, they were being saved, and ultimately they would be saved. Those who were an anathema or accursed were teaching a gospel that was different or opposed to what Paul had delivered to the people. And Paul did not want the influence of the not yet believing among the people to overtake the influence of leaders like Stephanus or Fortunatus or Achaicus, especially as these leaders were away from their people while they were visiting Paul. You see the danger here? These leaders are away. They're visiting Paul, right? We don't want some other gospel creeping in that's other than what Paul had presented and proclaimed. If anyone who is a part of the Christian community is teaching or preaching a message that is counter to the gospel as was presented by Paul and the early church leaders, then that person was to be removed or expelled from the community. And it was with the goal that perhaps this separation would be a good way to disclose the seriousness of the offense and unbelief to the person removed from the fellowship. And as a community, we can lovingly hope that through prayer, through redirection, ultimately through repentance and reconciliation, that that person who's been removed will come to faith in Jesus and then be what? Brought back in to the embrace of the community of believers. This is important, friends. It was important to Paul then. It's still important today in the church. And so as Paul began with grace in chapter 1, verse 3, he now ends with grace in chapter 16, verse 23. And we are reminded that those who are in Christ are a testimony and witness to the grace of God. Paul closes this letter with love in Christ Jesus, and he concludes it with the word, Amen. So how might we live as disciples of Jesus and function together as his church in an overwhelmingly not yet believing world. In the text, in light of the text that we read today, we might say this. In love, we desire to do all things, encouraging and building one another up for the glory of God. Holding on to the person and work of Jesus, our greatest source of unity and strength. Participating together as the church in Christ. We are motivated and compelled to love, live and serve according to the example of his life. As I pray, our team will come forward to lead us in a final song this morning.
Father, thank you for the ministry of your word this morning. Thank you for these reminders from Paul, these powerful reminders. Uh, Lord, let them resonate with us. Let us be a community that is committed to your gospel as it is presented in your word from beginning to end. Uh, Lord, let us be a people that demonstrate our love for you by living out the reality of our faith in the spaces that you've planted us. Help us to be known as a people who are loving, a people who uh, care and truly want to invest in the lives of those you bring into our pathways. Lord, might people know that we love you, um, and might they see that we love you by the way we pattern our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. tell a story If my life would sing a song If I have a testimony If I have anything at all
found my joy I'm still in love You're still enough for me Still all I want You're still my everything I'm still Thank you, Mindy. Beautiful reminder. As she was singing, I was thinking if we kept that message at the forefront of our minds, we would all live with so much less anxiety and stress. There is no one who can care for us like Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Mindy. That was a blessing. I want to remind you as you prepare to leave our service today that there are offering boxes in back for your tithes and gifts, especially as you think about Ukraine today as well. Also, on Wednesday night, right here, Awana closing program. It's going to be a lot of fun. I want to thank our volunteers and workers. They have put so much time and energy into making a great year uh, for our kids this year. Come out and celebrate that closing program with us Wednesday night, right here in the sanctuary. Uh, and then also, uh, ABFs throughout the building today are available in different spaces and locations. And the church picnic is coming up in June. The only thing that you need to bring that day, from what I understand, is an appetite and, and a heart to have some fun and fellowship with your faith community. So we're looking forward to that uh, in that particular day. The cafe is open today for fellowship. Enjoy your afternoon. Happy Mother's Day again. We'll see you all next time. Take care.